You are now listening to FemRegard Podcast with Tessa Markle and Carolina Alvarez. Mmm, Fem. Hey listeners, want to start your own podcast? Let us tell you our favorite tool. Anchor is the one-stop shop for all your podcasting needs. Here's why. Anchor lets you record and edit your show right from your phone or computer. So no matter your setup, you can start creating right now. Then it distributes your show to the most popular listening platforms like Apple and Spotify. Plus, it's the only place you can send video content to Spotify. Creators can even earn money on Anchor with ads and subscriptions. Best of all, it's all free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, Vem fam. It's your girl, Carolina and Tessa. I get to do the intro today. Tessa's making me. Ha ha. <laughs> um, but no, I'm, I'm presenting, especially because I decided to ask a filmmaker that I've met through the back lot from Noam Kroll's back lot. Shout out. And his name is Chris Heck. He is a director, filmmaker, and mischief maker. Love, love. We're all about, you know, the mischief behind filmmaking. But <laughs> he's just, mm-hmm. just in general. And just mischief in general. Know, <laughs> it's, you know, a little stir in the pot here and there. We like it. We're about it. Um, we're also about the horror genre and we kind of get into our love for it in this episode and and what um mm-hmm. and just the paths of a director and and really what's work Chris really gives some great advice on on how to kind of just be you <laughs> essentially and you will get hired for the dream yeah. positions you want in this industry. So I really love that advice and he's just a cool down to earth dude <laughs> and <laughs> we we just yeah. really love this conversation so i think you guys will enjoy it where are you in the world are you here in la i saw that you grew up in vermont and and did that whole cold life. We understand. I'm from Jersey. Oh. She's from Pittsburgh. So. <laughs> yeah, um, I grew up in Vermont, uh, a little town called Rutland, and uh, spent my first 20 years there. And then I relocated to Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, I spent about 10 years there. And then I just wow. recently relocated to Joshua Tree. So I'm, I'm kind of right outside oh. L.A. Nice. I love Joshua Tree. Yeah. I also love like this room behind you, the whole like the decor. That's like totally my aesthetic. I love that. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Listeners, it's gorgeous. (laughs) When we moved in here, um, so I have like we have a extra bedroom, so I kind of turned it into my office space, you know, and I just love to be surrounded by things that inspire me. So when I'm writing Mm -hmm. or creating or doing whatever I'm doing. I don't have to look far for some sort of inspiration. Um, so I have a lot of, you know, books and posters and, you know, paintings and, and all sorts of stuff that just kind of keeps the juices flowing. Yeah. I love that too, that it's like, you know, you have like art that isn't necessarily like 
film related or whatever. You know, I think a lot of times we get so like pigeonholed and like, well, I'm a filmmaker. So my inspiration has to come from films. And it's like, not necessarily, it can come from anything. It can come from a beautiful painting. It can come from music, you know, and I think that's a good reminder, <laughs> especially when we're like have writer's block or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, no, guys. I'm a huge proponent of that. I think a lot oh. of filmmakers can kind of get very stuck on watching films and then yeah. the stuff that they create ends up looking like films that we've seen before because, um, you know, that's just what they've put in the blender. Uh, so mm -hmm. I'm always trying to introduce myself to new things when I can or different art forms or music or whatever it is. And even, you know, one thing I love to do is find a filmmaker that I love and then try to trace back some of their influences, you know, and then you'll start to discover, you know, like, oh, they really loved this painter, you know, and, and so this filmmaker that I was inspired by was inspired by this painter. And so can I, you know, gleam something more from this painter than I am from the filmmaker? And then it's, it becomes a little bit more your own thing, I think. Yeah. I love yeah. That. No, that's, that's one of our music videos that we did was from inspired by Degas work mm. um, and the dancers specifically. So the costume, the romantic imperialistic era, it was all derived from that. So I love that you said that because I absolutely do that as a filmmaker and creator. And I think as Tessa said too, it's important to you be well-versed and, and find your own unique inspiration because, you know, we as filmmakers are told to read a lot of books on filmmaking and, you know, follow your directors and stuff, but you need to have your own like taste, I think, and in, in art and, and have something, then you have a conversation too of something that you specifically can speak on and, and have your own, um, cause everything is, is you know, your own perspective and art is perspective or what's the word? Subjective. Yeah. <laughs> art is subjective. So you need to like bring that own, that your own, um, take into that, your own opinions. And because we can see also artwork, a painting two different ways too. Yeah. Um, we can see color two different ways. Like, yeah. have you ever taken those like TikTok stupid tests where it's like, do you see teal or do you see coral? Uh, Tess and I see two different colors, which I cannot understand how that happens but <laughs> yeah it's true so I love that that you have that mindset um I want to actually keep talking about like I love talking about things that inspire but give us a brief journey of who you are as a, a film director and where you are today and I see that you have done work at a museum recently so we can we can you know come back in that way full circle I want to hear about that yeah absolutely um so you know, as a kid, uh, I was very into books and video games and movies, very, you know, big movie watching family, um, not necessarily the Criterion collection, more so like Jean-Claude Van Damme movies, but lots of movies uh, all the time. <laughs> um, and so I was always consuming a lot of stories as a kid. And then started writing and wanting to tell my own stories and then um you know got into video games a little bit and, and was thinking oh maybe I make video games like maybe this is how I yeah. tell stories and then when I was about 13 uh, um we got a, a dvd player for the first time so that kind of gives you some perspective on my age uh <laughs> and um <laughs> And, and also at 13, you kind of are starting to get your own taste, you know, and, and, and so 
was renting videos from like Blockbuster on my own now that weren't, you know, what my parents wanted to see or my right. older siblings and stuff and mm -hmm. started discovering, you know, filmmakers like, you know, Larry Fessenden or even um, like Guillermo del Toro, some of his early stuff. And, and then what was great with the DVD stuff was behind the scenes features. And all of a sudden my eyes opened up to, oh, oh wow, like people, make movies you know like growing up in this little town like I had no exposure to that I had no idea that that you know just people average people make movies and then this whole idea of independent cinema and like that literally just average people can pick up a camera and make a movie so then from so from 13 I was like that's it I'm getting a camera I want to make movies um oh my god and, that's cool. yeah and and so just been following that passion ever since you know and when i left Vermont and moved to Arizona, a huge part of that was they had tax incentives at the time and the industry was starting to boom a little bit there. As Soon as I got there, the tax incentives went away. So that didn't work out so well. <laughs> I, I was still able to work on a lot more things there than I was able to work on in Vermont because uh, there's essentially no industry there, unfortunately. And so in Phoenix, I was able to start working on a lot of uh, music videos, reality TV shows, um, docudramas, that kind of stuff in all sorts of- As, as a director, right? No, as all sorts Is of crew that... positions. So- um, Yeah, I think that's important for, you know, filmmakers who are aspiring to be a director to mm -hmm. hear like what exactly you were, yeah, tapping into and it was doing everything. Yeah, my career- if you can call it that, has had a bit of a sort of two-pronged. Yes, you can call it that, Chris. Heck, come on now. It's had, it's had a bit of a two-pronged approach. So uh, in one path, I'm directing things and the other path, I'm working on other people's projects. And oftentimes uh, working on somebody else's project, taking all the money I made from that and then going and making my own short film and then going back and That's working so on cool. somebody else's thing. And, and it's super valuable because, you know, I started off in sound, then moved into camera department, production design, uh, driving trucks, uh, key PA, like you name it. Like I've pretty much done everything wow. other than hair and makeup. And <laughs> so because of that, you know, as a director, I think one of my few, you know, skills that I have is I can communicate with all those departments now and I can speak mm -hmm. their language and they, um, they also know that I've been there. So it's like, if I'm asking them to do something, it's coming from a place of like, hey, I know this is tough, but I also know we can do it, you know? And I think, you know, you guys have, on the acting side, I'm sure worked with a lot of directors and like being on the crew side, I've worked with a lot of directors and you can tell the directors who have never been on the crew before. You can, they just, they don't have a, a respect level for the crew. They don't have a respect for the work as much, it, it seems. And um, and it just, uh, you, I feel like the project ends up suffering. So um, I really value all of my time that I've spent in all those different departments. But at the same time, while I was doing that, was staying focused on, you know, directing my own things and producing my own things. And luckily those worlds have sort of started to overlap now you mentioned the museum pieces that we did. Um, so those were client work. So we're getting paid and getting a budget, but it's still narrative, you know, fiction that we're creating. So That's awesome. finally kind of get starting to get those worlds to collide, which is pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like for most filmmakers, that's the dream to just like 
we love narrative work more and like commercial work sometimes is just what pays the bills. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's cool to see that like in your trajectory working, just consistently working on the narrative stuff, but maybe not being a director at first, putting your hands on everything, all the positions that there are to independent filmmaking. And then you can start to keep growing towards where you want to be exactly, I think is really inspiring and something I'm like, trying to do as a, a producer actor, you know, get to work on maybe other projects, but then like, then when I want to, I can hop in exactly on the roles that I'm really passionate about because mm -hmm. we don't all want to be, you know, all the roles all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But it's important to know. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, we've talked about this so many times on this show of like how you really need to be familiar no matter what, like, director it makes like it should be obvious that you need to be familiar with everything because you are directing everything <laughs> you know like you're in charge of all those all of those different departments but even if you are just an actor you should still be as familiar as you can with everything because it's going to help you it's going to help your relationship with the director and like it just makes you know you really should know as much as you can about all the different positions we've said this so many times but I do think it's important also that you said that you know you still kept focused on what you wanted to do because I mean I personally know a lot of people out here that like for instance they want to be actors but they've been doing crew stuff and it's you know paying their bills and people know them as crew now and so they just keep like kind of golden handcuff situation doing right. crew stuff when that isn't even what they want to be doing so I think it is important too that while you're learning all that stuff you do keep that focus like you said yeah that's such a such an important point because people want to pigeonhole you into you know, it's just how we work as humans. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. I understand you are that. You are an actor or you are a grit or you are this other thing. And, and you know, we're all now multi-hyphenates. It's just the world that we're in in order to survive. But you got to be really conscious, I think, of, of getting pigeonholed or pigeonholing yourself too. Because oftentimes, you know, you can kind of find a groove with a certain position and maybe it's not what you really want to be doing, but it's paying well or the jobs keep, the calls keep coming. So you just keep taking them. And I've certainly been there before. And you kind of got to remind yourself like, oh, no, no, no. What's, what's the thing? What's the main thing that I am mm. supposed to be working on and, and keeping that, you know, in the forefront. And I think we're in a really interesting time though, now with social media, where it's the power is so in your hands of shaping you know, what your, what the perception of you is, what your image is, you know? And so, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to go drive a truck for a music video for six days, I'm not blasting that all over my social media. Like, look at me, I'm a truck driver, you know, like that's cause that's not the part of me that I'm trying to promote out to the world. But if right. I direct something, you better believe like you're going to see a picture of me at monitor or whatever. So that people are keeping that perception of me that I'm, a director. Um, and, and it's just, it's kind of amazing. You know, I think I know a lot of people get frustrated with social media or, or don't want to do it. And I, I always say the power is in your hands now to shape what the, you know, perception of you is. And so just take advantage of it. Cause when in history has that ever been the case? That's very true. That is so true. I love that advice. Cause that's what I was going to ask you. Like, how do you kind of combat being pigeonholed in what has worked for you. And I think that's some really good advice. Like just start showing that and owning, you know, what it is that you want to be seen as. Yeah. Yeah. It's really important. I think especially when you're first starting out, 
don't worry about it too much. Just take all the jobs. And, you know, I'm at a point now where I'm having to think about it more and more, um, especially because, you know, there was a, a phase maybe a year or two ago where one week I'd be a PA on a shoot and then the next week I'd be the director and it would be the mm. same crew and people, wow. people's wow. heads are turning like, <laughs> and then the following week I'd be a PA again. And they're like, who is right. this guy? What, what are you doing? You know? And, and so it starts <laughs> to kind of, it can be a bit of a dilemma. So, you know, but I wow. think when you're first starting out, just like, don't worry about it too much. Just keep focused on what you're trying to do. Um, and then you yeah. get to a point though, where you have to have to start to weigh out, like, you know, can I keep, doing that you know can I keep bouncing around all these other positions or you know do I need to really hone in on a certain specific thing and, and that's where it comes in you know you mentioned those museum projects it's like okay can I still do commercial work but I'm directing but I'm still doing things that I'm you know projects that I'm really passionate about mm-hmm. and stories that I want to be telling uh, and so that's where that kind of came from yeah yeah do you think that if you were for people starting out too, taking, you know, as much work as they can, like, I feel like if your goal is a director, did you find that being a PA on set, you tried to, did you ever try to kind of start a precedent that I really like network with that crew and just let them know, like, I'm really into directing though. And like kind of show director, I don't know, energy or skills set in that way. Does that make sense? (laughs) Big, Big director energy. A big, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you said it. Um, Please make a meme of that, Carolina. <laughs> I will. It'll happen. Yeah, you kind of got to be careful with that, you know, because every PA wants to be a, the director. Um, and so you don't want to be that guy who shows up like, you know, yeah, I'm PAing today, but really, you know, I'm a director. Nobody wants yeah. to hear that. Nobody cares. Um, and I'm, <laughs> I'm very like, I, I think you should be doing the job that you're there to do, you know, and, and obviously in the back of your head, you're focused on, you know, whatever your goals, but if somebody hired you to be a PA or a camera assistant or whatever it is, then do that the very best that you can. Um, and yeah. that's, what's going to impress people. No, nobody's going to be impressed if you're, trying to share your script on set but you're the PA like nobody wants to have that conversation like because they're there to do their job and so Mm -hmm. but what does impress people is if you show up and you work really hard and you're you're you know a good person to work with exactly exactly. (laughs) yeah and then you're chill you know two months later if you call Mm -hmm. them and say hey like I you know we work together on that thing they have a good feeling about it you're like I'm actually directing this other thing now would you want to come they feel good about working with you as a person and they're maybe willing to take a risk with working with you as a director. But yeah, I think kind of just keep that to yourself when you're, when you're first starting out and until you've built those relationships. But the great thing about filmmaking is you end up working with these crews over and over and over again, you start to get to know people a little bit more and then you know at the rap party maybe start talking about the project that you have coming up that you're really excited about or something like that once you've kind of built that relationship and they know that you're a good hard worker because I've seen PAs get fired because they were just like trying to share their script with the director on the second day or something like that Mm -hmm. it's like it doesn't it doesn't work that way I think we've all heard stories of like Hollywood past where like somebody you know Mm -hmm. slipped a script into somebody's you know office 
that doesn't happen. <laughs> so don't try to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a fine line, right? Because there's so much of like, you know, you have to be confident in yourself. You have to kind of have that fake it till you make it energy. But at the same time, you've got to be really humble, you know, like people don't want to deal with annoying people. So it really is like, you've got to have good communication skills. You've got to be able to take those cues and understand when it is the right time to bring up, I'm writing this script and blah, 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 you know, and not everybody has that, which is really difficult because there's no like black or white way to teach this to people. You know, it's kind of just something you have to get in the moment, <laughs> you know, which is it's tough. Yeah. It's more also just having the confidence that you will always be hired for you as a person. Mm -hmm. And the skills are just the technicalities. It's just all part of the package. That's bonus. But at the end of the day, showing up for you is always going to be the most important thing. Um, and that's hard. That's hard to just have the confidence behind that and trust the process in that way that, okay, I will, I will get there, but today I still need to just be me on set and, and show up, you know? Yeah. That was something that, you know, so, you know, my first feature film that I ever worked on, I was in film school. Some guy came into the class. He was a sound mixer. He said, Hey, anybody in here want to learn sound? You could come be a boom op for me on this feature film you'll make nothing, but I'll teach you how to be a boom op. And I was the only person to raise my hand. I got the job. It was a horrible film, but um, I, I don't <laughs> think it's even come out to this day. Um, yeah, it was really bad. But the experience on that, you know, I went in knowing nothing about boom opping or sound or anything like that, but was just not an asshole like was a yeah. nice person. I showed up on time, you know, cracked a joke here and there. People for whatever reason enjoyed working with me. And then next thing you know, mm -hmm. I'm getting all these calls like, hey, can you come boom up this other, you know, like people just wanted me on set regardless of, was I an expert boom operator? No, they're like, he, he's gonna work hard. He's gonna show up and he's not an asshole. So like, I think to what your point is, focus on just being a good person and being you and showing up. And that's what people are going to remember you for. And people are going to hire you for, you're going to be in situations where you don't know what you're doing. Like when you're first starting out still to this day, I'm in situations where I don't know what I'm doing. And of course a bit of fake it till you make it comes into play there, but also like just humility comes in of, of just be open and honest and that. real and like, Hey, I'm, figuring this out sorry you know and you're gonna <laughs> screw up and like just be real with people and they'll be real with you and that's what keeps them sort of coming back and now that I'm in a position where I'm producing and I'm directing and I'm the person who's doing the hiring that's what I'm looking for always is who do I want around me on this shoot not you know is that that the most technically adept person yeah that's important but if they're a jerk or their energy's weird or like they, you know, joke around too much and, you know, like then it's going to screw everything else up. So yeah, mm -hmm. just be a decent human, I guess, is what that boils down to. <laughs> be yeah, a decent I mean, fucking human being, guys. Yeah, That's seriously. It. Because like shoot days are stressful. Like yeah. it's so funny because this is such a career where it's like when it, when you actually get to be on set shooting, like that's supposed to be the best part of 
your day ever, but then it's also like the most stressful thing ever. So it definitely helps to have people around you that actually, you know, that just bring that good energy. Like that is such an important thing. And I just feel like that advice translates into all departments. So I think that's what's so cool. Like as an actor, same thing. They're hiring for you. Crew, they're hiring for you. Like they're hiring you for you. So I think that's what's so cool though. Once you realize that, I think that's actually a really cool, exciting thing. Because as long as you're not that annoying person, then you will keep getting work. Yeah. that And so that should be like a stress off you know, you're back a little bit to think about it in terms of that way. I love that we covered that, guys. Thank you so much. Spilling the tea, Femme Regard. (laughs) (laughs) So Chris, um, you're in Joshua Tree and that's like really fucking cool. Are you just getting all these like film ideas while you're there? Because I would, I'd be like, wow, we could just shoot something right now. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a pretty amazing place. You know, we we moved here just about a year ago. I'm sorry, you keep saying we. Can you who's Oh we? sorry, my my lovely lady and myself and uh Aww. and our our furry son, um, pumpkin. <laughs> um he is a little ginger cat that we uh Aww. that we adore. Um Aww. so yeah, so we, you know, and she she's also in the industry, she's a model, and so you know, with the pandemic and everything. We both were kind of like out of work, you know, work had halted this time last year and we're, and we were like, well, we're kind of just sitting here doing nothing, you know, why don't we sit somewhere else and do nothing? And (laughs) and we've kind of been wanting to dip our feet in LA a little bit and, uh, but also not be in the thick of it. And we love Joshua Tree and we had visited and stuff. And so we just kind of came out and looked at a house to rent and, and the very first place we looked at, we fell in love with it. And we're like, I guess we're doing this. this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we just on a whim came out to Joshua tree and, and it is super inspiring. And especially, you know, you guys grew up in, in a much different climate and environment. And when you're in right. something like the desert after growing up on the East coast, it's like just mind blowing sometimes. And so, so yeah, it has been definitely mm-hmm. very inspiring. Um, I think the next project that I'm doing, funny enough, will be taking me back to the Northeast. Uh, so I won't be shooting it out here. Um, but it's been cool. And, you know, we, I do a lot of photography and, and we shoot together a lot. And um, and so it's been amazing to be able to just explore the area a little bit, especially with, you know, COVID and everything. Like we're not trying to go out to like restaurants and places like that. But here right. with nature, it's just there's so many places for us to explore and and just be inspired and and yeah it's been uh it's been really really amazing and and just this place that we're in has has helped me focus in on writing and and have the space to just uh be creative i guess yeah Yeah. i love that and also you know for people listening that are located in la where it's like a so expensive to film in the city, you know um i mean i assume joshua tree is over the 30 mile zone cut off probably, right? Because it's like almost two hours away. Um, So, you know, that's a place if you're looking for that sort of environment, like a desert environment, or, you know, if you have interiors that you can find out there, whatever, like, that's a great idea to go outside of that 30 mile zone where it's going to be a whole lot cheaper (laughs) to film and a whole lot less restrictions. But do remember, then you have to do some like gas stipends and whatever (laughs) for your people. But, you know, that's just that's another um, resource that we have, you know, right here, 
right around LA. So just a reminder. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I think it's one of those places that people get really excited about too, you know, so mm-hmm. if you were for the right type of project, if you're like, Hey, and we're going to go spend a week in Joshua tree, like people get excited about that. And they're like, Oh, yeah. cool. You know, like, cause it feels like a whole different planet than LA. And so it's just like a, it's a little added bonus because it feels kind of like vacation land when you're here. So yeah, yeah come out and shoot adventures yeah. and all that stuff oh the sun like just the light there is so cool like I feel like from a cinematographer perspective like you just get the coolest like sunsets and like the lighting and the night you can see the stars there <laughs> so it's just a it's a magical place I especially like right now especially being in writing mode because we're working on a psychological feature right now um film script idea and like yeah, with like just the constant noise and buzz of the city, like I pre- much prefer to be in the woods or, you know, in the remote desert environment. So I, I'm kind of jealous that you guys got to do that, pick up and, and move. And it's probably something I could could have done, too, though, if I really like wanted to. Um, so I love that you're kind of reaping the benefits of that at the moment. Yeah, I think, you know, the point of, of your writing space and, and, you know, we were talking about my office and like all the tchotchkes and stuff that I have and like my writing space is really important to me for my process and, um, having, you know, control over the sound and control over the, the environment and all that, um, is really, really helpful for me because I kind of have ADD and I'm easily distracted. So if something else is happening, then I'm going to want to pay more attention to that than actually getting my work done. So yeah, so having this dedicated space that's nice and quiet and private, um, I couldn't have finished my script this year if, if I didn't have it, I don't think. Yeah, it's one of those priority things, you know, like you have to decide is is your environment what's more important to you or is like easy access to, you know, whatever more important to you. Like for instance, like I'm a working actor. So like auditions and stuff, it would be tough for me to live that far away from the city, you know, but if I were specifically a writer, like if that's what I was concentrating on, I would, I would be out of the city in the desert for sure. Um, so yeah, you know, it's, you have to decide what's most important to you, but like once you do, don't be afraid to do it. I know so many people that, are afraid to move to LA from wherever they're from, are afraid to move out of LA because they've spent so much time here. Like, do you, you know, do what you need to do. Don't be afraid to do that. It's not giving up. It's not, you know, like, just do what you need to do. Don't be afraid. (laughs) Yeah, I I completely agree. You know, when I was 20 and I moved to Phoenix, um, you know, it was the furthest I'd ever been from home. I knew nobody there. It was, it was Mm -hmm. kind of on a whim. And, um, it completely changed my life, you know, and, and it, it was that leap that, you know, just propelled me forward. And and I have a fair idea of what my life would look like had I just stayed in my small hometown all these years and it would not at all be the same. And I think I'm sure for all of us, you know, (laughs) people get scared scared of that stuff, but it's like, you're not going to die. It's going to be fine. If it doesn't, you know, give it a shot for six months, a year, whatever it is, if it doesn't work out, go back to where, whatever you were doing. Like, I think people just put so much weight on, on trying new things. It's like, just give it a go. We, you know, life is short, but 
you know, you got time, just do it, just try it yeah. and uh, give it a go. Yeah. I think the, one of the like best advice that I've gotten recently, and I think I've said it on the show already, but it's just like, we're constantly just making mistakes. Like every decision is a mistake. So, and not, it's not like a negative thing. It's that we're just always going to keep making mistakes till we, you know, finally that's, that's what helps us realign our path and helps us make decisions because if you're not I think that's worse when you stop like actually taking action for things that's a bigger mistake that's just being stagnant so you want to make mistakes because then you'll actually get to where you're supposed to be and so that I I just like always think about that now like it's okay like if you feel like you have to try this then try it because otherwise you you just you wouldn't know you wouldn't know any different Mm mm-hmm Yeah. I was listening to a podcast. I don't remember which one it was, but whoever they were interviewing was an actress and she was saying she actually really likes rejection. (laughs) And the the interviewer was like, why? What is that? You're an actress. You should not. And she was like, because I always learn a lesson that way. You know, I learn either what not to do or what that specific person doesn't like or, you know, like she's like, it's so funny because, you know, as actors, we face rejection all the time. Most people I would say it's probably half and half. People either really get upset by it and they're just living in this like depression mode or they've learned to let it just roll off their back and that's what it is. But she like strive not strives to be rejected, but like thrives because of that. You know, she really learns a lesson every single time. So I'm not saying we can all be like that or should, but like I just thought that was a really interesting perspective. Yeah, it's it's super difficult, especially in a creative field because we're putting so much of ourselves and our emotions and our being into, you know, whatever it is we're doing, our performance or our art or whatever. And so for someone, for someone to say, you know, no, thank you. It's, it's, Uh it feels so personal, but yeah, it's something I've been working on a lot myself is I call it focusing on the, the, the process over the product, you know, Mm because if you're focused on the product, the end result of whatever it is that you're working on, um, then you're constantly going to be getting in your own way. But if you love the process of, of doing the thing and you're not worried about the product of what it's going to be, mm-hmm. um, that's a whole different experience. You know, and I think mm-hmm. what you're speaking to of, of, of embracing rejection, if you're in the process and you're in love with the process, then you can find the silver lining to that rejection because it is helping your process. If you're focused on the product, then that rejection is, is, you know, earth shattering because your product is no longer worthy or whatever it may be, you know? So I've been really, really trying to focus on, you know, my job is just to do the work and make the thing. It's everybody else's job to look at it and critique it and, you know, decide if it's good or bad or whatever it is, but that's not any of my business because I'm already moving on Mm -hmm. to working on the next thing and just making that process as good as I could possibly make it. Yeah, that's absolutely great for like creating a film. If you enjoyed the whole process of, and it's a long process as we know y'all, of doing it, then you know, whatever happens, if it gets into that festival, if it, you know, makes a billion sales, that's just all well and wonderful. But if you're just miserable the entire time of creating it, you'll never have the energy and the joy of to continue on to the next one. Because as we know, it's, it's, 
not just about the next film, but it, it is. You want to be able to have longevity and to keep creating. And so I love that you said that because I think as filmmakers, we forget that it's, you know, it is this journey and we want to really enjoy the the process as a whole rather than how our how our film turns out turns out because we want it to turn out amazing but especially if it's your first one that might not happen and right. you have to like be okay <laughs> and so I think if you have that joy the entire time it, it makes it a lot easier to move on to the next one oh Hello there. I didn't see you come in. I'm Shane O'Hare of the Geekscape Games Podcast, the number one video game podcast on the Geekscape.network. Join myself, Derek Krenevelt, and a guest every fortnight as we discuss video game news, video game reviews, and dissections. That's Geekscape Games every two weeks on Geekscape.net. Yeah, I think that's probably why you see a lot of filmmakers only make one film, you know, mm-hmm. is is because <laughs> I don't know, I don't there hasn't been anything that I've made that I haven't been disappointed with in in some way or another. And I think that that if you're so focused on the product, then that disappointment can be crushing. Um but all of those things that I've made, I've loved the process of making them. I've loved the people that I've worked with. I've, I, you know, I have great stories from what we went through. I know what I learned from making those things. And that's the stuff that propels me into making the next project. And so, but I think if I was so focused on like, oh, that short film didn't, you know, get into Sundance and break my career or whatever, like you would just stop because you're focused on the wrong thing, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really smart. It's like finding your focus of what's important. And because in any artistic career, again, it's like your success is so it's, it's hard to measure your success, like in the steps, you know, it's like, well, okay, I've sold my first film. So, but like, you're already like looking for the next, you know, tier to jump to and stuff. And it's, it's not objective, like most careers where it's like, oh, I'm entry level. Now I'm a manager. Now, you know, like we don't have that in the artistic career. So yeah, focusing on really what's important to you and yeah, enjoying the process. I think that is such such an important thing. Chris, what kind of narrative work do you enjoy working on the most? Like what's your genre? I know we're both A2, A24 fans. <laughs> so, and so is Tessa. So like, is, is that your, your genre that you love creating most? This kind of like horror films? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, that's, that's part of like sort of a lot of my self-discovery that I've been going through lately. Um, I grew up watching a ton of horror films and loving horror films. I still love horror films. I'd say that's the number one, you know, if you looked at my letterbox account, that's probably the number one genre that I watch um, most consistently. And then, you know, making my own films, um, I I, like thought I was making horror films um, and other people were looking at them or I was getting, you know, I got into this film festival and they put my short film with a romance category. And I was like, huh that's 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 weird (laughs) and like in hindsight I'm like yeah that is a romance you know film and but but I was so kind of focused on like you know I, I make horror films I love horror films 
And I've started to realize that really um, fantasy is kind of my jam and, and not always, you know, sword and sandal and that kind of thing, but just some sort of element that is fantastical about the film, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, for instance, uh, one of those museum films that we keep talking about that I just did was about a kid on a field trip to the Phoenix Art Museum. And as he's walking around and he's not connecting with any of the art that he's seeing, we're seeing other people connecting to the art. And we chose to, to show that very literally in that their, their costumes literally match the, the colors and the, you know, the, their body mm-hmm. positioning is the same as the paintings and things like that. And um, there's even one where there's a sculpture of a hamburger and we had two people standing on either side, one in a red shirt, one in a yellow shirt, and we called them ketchup and mustard. And so, you know, (laughs) is that fantasy? Well, it's not reality, you know, it's, it's, it's this sort of, you know, this other layer. So, you know, I can work on stuff that is, you know, very much straightforward fantasy, but then also anything that I'm working on, I'm trying to find those fantastical elements. I'm very drawn to escapism. And and that's, mm-hmm. you know, going back to when I was a kid and, and the stuff that I was reading and stuff that I was getting into, a lot of it was escapism, you know, and, 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 you know, maybe not wanting to deal with some stuff that was going on in the home life. So escaping into the books that I was reading and the movies that I was watching and the video games that I was playing. And so in creating what I am now making for another audience, that's what I want to do. I want to provide some level of escape. And, you know, I love films that are hyper-realistic, you know, borderline documentary, like, um, but that's just not me. That's not what I want to create. So that's that's something that I've really been finding lately from a genre standpoint is that fantasy is really my jam. Um, I think my work does have a romantic element to it. It might not necessarily be boy meets girl, you know, that kind of story, but there is a level mm-hmm. of sort of romance to it. And then another thing that I've discovered is is outsider stories is something that really, really interests me. Either someone who we as society might view as an outsider or somebody who's viewing themselves as an outsider, because that's something that I've felt my whole Ooh, life. I love that. Um, be it, you know, in my family or in my school or in my community or whatever it was, I always kind of felt a little bit apart and think most Mm -hmm. artists do and so I'm really trying to lean into that and and hopefully tell stories that make people who feel like they're outside feel a little bit seen and a little bit heard and for society as a whole to maybe take a look at outsiders through a different Mm -hmm. lens um, maybe with a little bit more empathy. Yeah I like that you're using those terms like escapism and outsider stories because I feel like when we think of genre all the time, we just think of like specifically like like what you would see in a bookstore, you know, horror, romance, whatever. But like there's so many that are so like genre bending and hard to really like put specifically in a box. Um, like escapism, I don't think is a term I would have like ever thought I to know, use to same. describe, but that's so yeah. perfect. Because like mm-hmm. you said, with the museum thing, it's like, it's not, you know, like sci-fi. It's kind of fantasy, I guess, because it's not like realistic, but it, yeah, like that's a perfect term for that. I love that. Because paintings are a form of escapism too. It's yeah. like watching a film, like you're, you're visually seeing 
it's supposed to take you there. That's what what kind of mm-hmm. started all of this art, you know, from way back when. And that's why we still appreciate yeah. it. So I totally agree, Tessa. That is so cool that you've really narrowed down, you know, the descriptives, <laughs> descriptive yeah. words for, yeah, um, your your what you love to do, and that challenges me even as a a writer filmmaker to like really like you know I've, I've definitely thought of things but not not in those terms like mm-hmm. I love that we can be more than just what is stereotypically labeled as a genre you know yeah and think of it in that way that's really cool yeah I think it, it it's interesting because it helps you really narrow in in a lot of ways mm-hmm. but also mm-hmm. opens you up in a lot of ways so mm-hmm. you know if I were gonna go make a war movie or a Western, let's say a Western, which is a very specific genre, right? Yeah. yeah. I know I can cross over into that as long as it still kind of has these elements of escapism. It's an outsider story. So, you know, what does that Western look like? And now that's exciting. And it still fits my brand or my genre or the type of things that I'm interested in making, but it's also in this whole other world as well. So it kind of opens you up I think to, um, you know, like I said, I used to think of myself as a horror filmmaker and I am going to make horror films and or films with horror elements to them, but that is such a narrow niche to be in. And so I think hopefully with what I've been discovering about myself, it opens me up to be able to work in all sorts of different mediums and genres, but it still feels like it's all coming from the same place. Have you seen, just to give an example, have you seen The Girl Who Walks home alone at night yeah that horror film yeah, it's a western movie. yeah totally it's, i it's love like that that iranian spaghetti yeah. western vampire <laughs> feminist skateboarder movie <laughs> we love yeah. it yeah <laughs> i love it so much and like that's inspired one of our works too mm-hmm. um one of our shorts <laughs> guys embrace yourselves on our youtube you can see it um but yeah it's i i when I was researching that film, I didn't think of it as a Western at all. And then when you see that that's how the framing and how the pacing and yeah, the bad guys closing in and all of that, it's totally there. But, you know, your first thought would have been like, oh, it's just a horror film. Like if you, you know, yeah. saw it for just face value there. So I I just think that's what we, it's fun that, you know, it's, you don't have to think of genre as just like, what it stereotypically is. So a Western doesn't necessarily have to be this thing in the desert or it can be, and it can still be like a love story, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever yeah. you want it to be. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. really interested in archetypes and <clears throat> sort of genre traditions and things like that. And, and then being able to like really examine those things and flip them on their head a little bit. And I think that's what they did, um, Spectre Vision with that film and like, you know, I love that you saw it. I, I had a feeling. I was like, he, he's seen this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're a horror fan. If, it, yeah. if it's dark mm-hmm. and weird, I've probably seen it. Um, but I think, <laughs> you know, we're in a place now where people are really hungry for those genre bending films. You know, you look at something mm-hmm. even like hereditary, you know, like that's mm-hmm. it's a family drama, you know, like it's a heart wrenching family j- drama that has mm-hmm. these insanely scary moments, you know, packed into it as well. And so that's what's really fascinating, I think, about where we are in film right now is you can really start to flip some genres or mash some genres together and people are open to it and excited about it. 
Yeah, definitely. It's like, it's an exciting time for creators. <laughs> yeah. I love that in Ari Aster's interview about Hereditary, I was listening to him say, and they, I guess people were like trying to say that, yeah, it wasn't a horror film. And he's like, no, it, it was a horror film. But it's, it's funny because I think a lot of people <laughs> saw that family drama element more, which he probably wasn't anticipating to really like pull through. But those performances really gave that, you know, that other, um, like color to it than than just a horror film and that's why I love it so much mm -hmm. because I'm kind of more drawn to these stronger narrative like arcs in in the relationships of the characters when I'm watching a horror film because I mean I'm, I'm down for a good old slasher anytime whatever but it's fun to have that stronger pull you know into the what the characters are facing and feeling mm -hmm. Well, I think what was yeah. important with that and, and a lot of like the horror, especially that we see from A24 in particular, like you're talking about, is is it's filmmakers who take the genre seriously. Mm -hmm. um, and so they're they're trying to make an important film. They're trying to tell an important story, you know, like mm -hmm. I'm excited to see more horror films winning Oscars, you know, not not for the prestige, but for the fact that it's you know, the thought and the care has been put into these genre films and they're not just, you know, $5 yeah. bargain bin, you know, uh, let's just churn these things out. You know, I've had a lot of right. producers kind of approaching me about, hey, you know, we can give you this little budget if you put five teenagers in a house and, and kill them. And I'm like, yeah, I can't, I'm not bringing anything to that. You know, like that's not, yeah. that's not pushing the genre forward. And I think you hear that argument a lot, like, oh, that's not really a horror film, you know, or like you hear it with like Get Out, for instance. Oh, that's not mm -hmm. really a horror film. And it's like, I think that's because people think of the genre as cheap and less than and this like other thing. And yeah. it doesn't have yeah. to be, and it shouldn't be, and it hasn't always been. And so, um, you know, if you look back a hundred years before now, um, the films that we remember are Nosferatu, doc, you know, Dr. Calgary. Psycho. It's the horror films like, that, think, you know, have, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's the films that have stayed with us over the years have, have been the horror films because they can have an impact and they can cross genres more than any other type of film can, I think. And so I'm excited because yeah. I think we're in this phase where a lot of filmmakers are taking horror really seriously and making extremely quality films that are in yes the that's what i'm trying to do because it's yeah. our film's not just a psychological thriller it's also a horror but i wanted i wasn't i was very careful when i was having brainstorm sessions with tessa to not just be like okay we just like i don't it's not going to just be a gory moment or you know just for that that um you know, stereotypical, like, shock factor. The shock like, there factor, There has to yeah. be some really symbolic or there's the action is cr is justified for a specific part of the story. And mine is really, like, kind of more of a relationship story. I think that's what I'm starting to realize my go-to genres really focuses on, on like, relationships and the, the good and the bad of them. So I <laughs> – and but it's set in this modern futuristic world that you would think it's it's supposed to be this weird sci-fi thing, but it's not. I'm just – that's the world it's in. So I'm I'm trying to play with that, and I'm really drawn to those mm -hmm. stories too. So I love that how you're – you you define that that's where horror is going, and I, I feel like that's my mission too as a filmmaker to really – push it in that way because I love that genre and it's it's not 
they're real stories based on there's horrifying real stories there that's why we create them because we do experience them in our real life yeah. so it's not some like cheap ticket for sure yeah and i think that you know if even just looking at the history of storytelling um fear has been a tool a device that has been used since cave days you know to to get a point across and to convey mm-hmm. something and you know if you look at the more recent trends of of horror films you know they're always dealing with what's going on in our society you know it it wasn't a coincidence that um like the torture porn films of like saw and hostel and all that sort of stuff came about at the same time that you know, we were seeing videos of Al-Qaeda cutting people's heads off on the news, you know, like that's not a coincidence that those things were happening or that, um, you know, Godzilla movies are coming out during like nu- after nuclear war happened and now we're getting these deformed. And, you know, like it's always a commentary on where we're at in society. I think so much more than any other genre does like horror is always right on the precipice of what's happening right now and examining it and and putting it back in our faces of like hey you need to look at this you need to look at what's going on you know get out is a great example of like you know yeah he's talking about racism but he's coming at it from this totally other angle that we're not talking about of the you know the tokenizing of black culture Mm -hmm. and you know all these it's it's this whole thing that like it was just under the surface and nobody was really talking about it. And he's like, here's a horror film that you can go and just watch and have fun, but it's going to make you think a little bit as well. And and I I don't, I can't think of another genre that can talk about the real world in the same way. Yes. I love it. It gets me really excited to talk about this stuff. Yes. 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 (laughs) Because I'm such a, yeah, we're both, we're all, I think such fans of the genre. And I think it's because we see it in this way. And like, that is just so, it's so important. It's, and I'm, I'm getting my boyfriend into it like slowly. He loved hereditary. I just showed him that. Um, and I, I, I think he's, yeah, I think when you kind of open the eyes of also what, cause there's a lot of bad horror films out there too, but if you start to showcase like these kind of deeper, like top, like ones that really kind of touch in on different things, um, then it's it's really exciting mm-hmm. to see like oh okay I get the scare now like I get where you know it's kind of enjoyable from this yeah. aspect now yeah yeah totally well Chris to wrap up um, let our listeners know where they can find you where they can find your work and they follow you on social media yeah um, Instagram is sort of my most active uh, spot my username is chrisek13 um also my website you can see all my work there chrisack13.com um yeah that's that's those are kind of the best places for now perfect is 13 just your favorite number or <laughs> yeah a little bit um my produ- I have a yeah. production company called theater 13 and and oh, i think it kind of all you know speaks to there's sort of a supernatural element to to everything that i do and create and am interested in and uh and so yeah it's kind of become my, my is that why you call there. yourself a mischief maker <laughs> nice. as well Love it. it's just kind of like your tagline yeah um <laughs> I, i'm a big prankster a big big joker so i don't like to take myself too seriously so yeah so on my website and everything it says writer director mischief maker um 
I think that's also just kind of filmmaking or, or at least my approach to mm -hmm. filmmaking is, is getting into <laughs> some trouble, you know, and, and, and taking some risks and like, just like, let's try a thing. Let's, let's stir the pot up a little I bit. I love so. it. I love yeah. it. Love that. Chris, it's been <laughs> such a pleasure. I feel like we can talk shop all day about this yeah. kind of stuff. I love talking about, yeah, the horror genre <laughs> and like, um, so definitely want to keep in touch with what you got going on. It's, it was, it's been a lovely fun chat mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Thank you yeah. guys so much. It definitely was, was cool catching up and I'm, I'm really looking forward to your film that you're working on and we can't wait to hear <gasps> yeah. more about it. So Hell keep me yeah. in the loop, please. Thanks for listening to FemRegard Podcast. If you like what you hear, tune in every Friday for more tips on the filmmaking business and insightful conversations with industry professionals. We can only grow with your support, so please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also join the FemFam on Patreon. For more on us, check us out at femregard.com. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.